joy to the world. Have you experienced that this week? Yes? Has anybody run into any crabby people this week? If you're sitting next to them, don't look at them right now. It wouldn't be good. Um, This is a joyful season, but somehow anxiety takes over and people get real anxious and a little crabby. I'm I'm sorry to say, I run into people at the grocery store, you know, when I'm at different places. I'm thinking, you got everything to be excited about and you just seem to be just a sourpuss about everything. Um, just a couple weeks ago, this truly happened. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I went to Sam's Club. I love Sam's Club. And I went over to Sam's Club because I love their hot dogs. And it's like a buck fifty, and you get the whole meal, right? So I go over there, but you're not allowed to eat inside. And I had to pick up a few other things. But I said, I'll just I'll get my lunch. I'll go outside and eat it, and then I'll come back in. So I, I got the lunch, spent my buck fifty, six cents for tax or whatever it was. And, and then I went out, and I thought, well, I'm not going to go all the way to the car. I'm just going to go out. When you go out to the front end, there's this big, long bay. And so I'll just go way over here by myself. Right? That's fine. Just started eating, you know, my hot dog, enjoying it. And some lady steps out of her van. She's probably 50 yards from me, and she's staring right at me. Now, I realize I'm a good-looking guy, so it's not uncommon. <laughs> But she's got her hips, her hands on her hips, and she's just doing one of these numbers looking right at me. And I'm thinking, I mean, it's a brick wall behind me, but I'm thinking, okay. So I'm doing it. And then, I mean, I can just see she's, she's flustered, but I thought, well, whatever, and I'm just eating, not paying attention. Then a, a few minutes later, she walks right over to me. I'm not kidding. And I'm not within 25 yards of anybody in the place, all right? She walks right over and she goes, I can't fix stupid, but I can complain about it. I thought, what did I do? I'm literally dumbfounded. I'm thinking, is it because I'm eating a hot dog? Oh, I don't have a mask on. But she didn't have a mask on either, so it wasn't one of those. But she literally says it to me, goes right into the exit door at Sam's Club, comes back out, and she goes, huh. And then she goes to her van, gets in, and drives off. And I'm like, how awful is that? Now, I still like Sam's Club. Some people treat the church like that. Somebody's mean to them at church, so therefore they never go back to church again. I'm thinking, I'm still going to go to Sam's Club, and I'm still going to eat the hot dogs, and I'll still have no idea what that woman was talking about. (laughs) But it just shows you what's going on with some people. They are just frustrated, and they're looking for things to be upset about, and they can't fix it, but they certainly want to complain about it. I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. You know what? Jesus called us for joy. In this Advent season, we've talked about hope, We've talked about peace. Today, I want us to focus on joy and what it really means to have the joy of Christ. There are so many things in our world that try to steal our joy. And and quite frankly, I don't think anything can steal our joy or kill our joy. We have to actually give it away. Because our joy is ours when we're in the presence of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah tells us, that, that in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. So our joy is there. People can't steal that. But you could certainly give it away by distraction, just discouragement, the, the focus on something else. What, what's, what's potentially tempting you to give your joy away? I wrote down a few things going, hmm, I've seen this in people's lives and experienced some of these myself. Unplanned obstacles sometimes will, will tempt you to give your joy away. Broken relationships, petty issues. Haters, there's always going to be somebody who's a hater in your life. They don't like what you're doing, they don't like the way you look, whatever. You know what, we, we, we're tempted to care too much about what other people think. Debt is something that will gnaw on you and 
tempt you to give your joy away. So don't fall into that trap this season. You know, half the stuff you buy will be in a garage sale a year from now, so it's not all that important. Caring too much about what you look like. Wasting time. Eating more food than your body needs. Gossip. The news will tempt you to give away your joy. Just turn it off. (laughs) Just turn it off. It ain't going to be that big of a deal. Complaining, criticizing, envy, jealousy, pretending to be somebody you're not. Hypocrisy. That will tempt you to give away your joy. I like in the Christmas story, as you look back in the early days of the, of the New Testament, where joy is, is seen very clearly. In Luke chapter 1, if you were to turn in your Bibles there, Luke chapter 1, we see the, the story of Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist. And she's advanced in years, and, and, and certainly they have joy in their life, but boy, they had never experienced the joy of having a child. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, In the days of Herod, king, king of Judah, uh, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. Oh, that's a great phrase. To be in your senior adult years and everyone could say they are righteous before God. They have no regrets. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and and both were advanced in years. But as you well know from the Old Testament, advanced in years does not prohibit bearing of children when God's involved. Look down at verse 11. It says, And there appeared to to him, Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing uh, on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. Verse 13, And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call him, uh, his name, John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Dropping down to verse 24, it says, After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. There was going to be a joyful time of having a son, a child that they had so desperately wanted their entire life. And there is something about a child being born into your family that brings a lot of joy. Well, this isn't the only family having a baby. As we celebrate Christmas, we're well aware of Mary having Jesus. Well, you go a little further in the text, dropping down to verse 39, you see where Elizabeth and Mary combined their joy. In those days, Mary arose and went into haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 41 says in Luke 1, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. This is John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth, leaping. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? So Elizabeth easily recognized that the the child growing inside of Mary was the Lord, the Christ child, the Messiah. Verse 44 goes on, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to hear from the Lord. So there was going to be a joy because of the birth of Elizabeth's son. But there's a greater joy when Jesus comes. You see the two joys here. I'm joyful, Elizabeth thinks, because my child, I'm going to have one and my child will be born. But, but later, that child is joyful because of the Messiah that is coming, which had been prophesied back in Isaiah chapter 40 that there would be a forerunner, that John the Baptist would come and, and he would be proclaiming about this joy of the Messiah. John may have brought joy to his parents, but John found his joy even from the womb. He found his joy in Jesus. Now, I'm pretty confident that when you were born, you brought some joy to your parents. Now, I don't know what's taken place since then. You know, whether it's been more happiness or heartache, you know, parenting is rough. But at least when you started in this world, there was shedding of tears and joy at the moment when you were born. But I agree with the Apostle John. As a father, I agree when he says, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear that my children walk in the truth. When my children were born and I was there, I didn't think I would be there for the very first one. I just thought, no, that's a little weird. I don't want to be in there. Just let me know when it's over. But something compelled me within the, you know, just hours before, I need to be there with my wife as she's birthing our firstborn. And there is nothing like it. And I said, I'm going to sign it up again. Let's do this again. This is so much fun. There is so much joy in seeing a child born. There's nothing like it on the planet. But when my firstborn said to me one evening, we were actually on vacation and, and I, we were somewhere else, and, and, uh, and my firstborn says, Daddy, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. There's nothing greater than that. And had the privilege of baptizing him a few years later, and I've watched many of my children so far as they've grown love the Lord, which is far more exciting to me. To be born the first time just means you have time on this planet. To be born the second time, a rebirth, means you have eternal life in heaven, and I will know them forever. That's a great joy. John the Baptist was going to be born, but his joy was in the eternal life that Jesus brings. That's where joy is, and that's where so many people are disconnected from what everlasting joy is. They find joy in circumstances or, 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 or temporary uh, situations. But until we understand that Jesus came to give us lasting, eternal joy through, his, through the, the shedding of his blood, the death, burial, and resurrection, when you attach your life to him, trusting in him, repenting of your sins, you can have joy forever. I love that God, in his holiness, chooses to rejoice. And then he invites us to enter into his joy. We don't need another kind of joy. We just need the joy that overflows from the Father, that's manifested in the Son, that's sustained by the Spirit in our lives. It's a fruit of the Spirit. I like how John said in John chapter 15, or Jesus said in John chapter 15, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, Jesus says, may be in you and that your joy may be full. The lady at Sam's Club, I don't think, had fullness of joy. I don't know her heart, but she did not have fullness of joy at that moment. And there are some days that, that I am that lady. 
where I'm griping about things and things aren't the way I want it to be, and I'm not manifesting the joy that is readily available through Jesus Christ. It's in me, but sometimes I hide it under a bushel. (laughs) But I ought to let my joy shine. Romans chapter 5, verse 11 tells us, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Why is it I can be joyful always? Because I have received a reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. This is Jesus coming as an infant in the manger who is bringing eternal joy and reconciliation between God and sinful man. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is Psalm 16, verse 11. He, or you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. God chooses to rejoice. question is, do you? Do you realize you have a choice to rejoice? That you can choose joy because it's readily available in the presence of God and that everything that you need is found in him. This holiday season and all days throughout our entire life, we can choose to be joyful. Today, perhaps, this is where you're at. You've been choosing other things. You've been giving your joy away to focus on those things that are just challenging to you and frustrating and and things don't work out the way you planned. But today you can choose to be joyful. I'm going to give you four things today as we consider the four ways you can choose to be joyful. The first one is this. You can choose an attitude of gratitude. You can choose an attitude of gratitude. Now think about this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Really? Always? Not just sometimes? Yes. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You have a choice to rejoice by choosing an attitude of gratitude. I heard uh, someone speak uh, one time that he was a motivational speaker, and he was saying there was one time there was a lady who, who came up to him and said, you need to help me. I'm in a bad situation. I, I hate my job. I hate my life. I don't have anything to be happy about. And, uh, and so he began to ask her some more questions. He says, well, you know, well, let's start here. Just what are you thankful for? And she goes, I'm not thankful for anything. My job is the worst on the planet says, wow, well, then they ought to just fire you and get rid of you and just, uh, you know, obliterate your poison from that company. Well, no, they can't fire me. I'm too good at what I do. So she had a little pride in, in that situation. But then he begins to ask her questions. He says, so I guess in your job, you do it just as a, a you know, as, as, as a contribution. They don't pay you. Well, yes, they pay me. Oh, well, that would be something to be thankful for. Says, and I guess you're just making minimum wage then. Well, no, I'm way up in the company. I make a lot of money. Oh, well, there's something else to be thankful for. And he begins to just challenge her with every little thing. He says, if you would just sit down and start saying, yes, I hate everything about everything. They don't do anything right, but here's one thing I can be thankful for. Here's another thing I can be thankful for. Here's another thing. And after time, if you begin to look for the things you can be thankful for, because if they were taken away, You'd be in a worse situation? Well, I don't know how the the rest of that individual conversation went, but he goes on to say that six months later, he ran into her again. He says, I just want to thank you 
because I have the greatest job on the planet. Oh, you switch companies? I have the same job. But I began to see everything that I should be thankful for. It's changed my perspective. I've even got a promotion in the company, and I'm getting to influence other people to be thankful for everything they have. Some of the problems with us not rejoicing and be joyful is because we're not thankful for what we have. You ever complained about your car breaking down and thought, I have a car that can break down? I know many people don't have a car. You ever, ever complained about the, you know, the leak in, the, in your roof and then realize there's people that don't even have a roof? You know, you complain about your job, you complain about all... I, I've, I've seen people that complain about their kids all the time. And I'm thinking, you know, you prayed for them and that was your gift and now you act like you're not thankful. There are so many things in our lives. What is it in your life that, that a different perspective, thanking God for it, would change how you respond and you would be joyful? Here's the second thing you ought to do besides just having a, an attitude of gratitude which I, I would just say that we are far more blessed than we deserve. The second thing is to choose the unity of community. In Philippians chapter 2, the humility chapter of Christ, giving the, the illustration of how he humbled himself coming and, and taking on flesh for us. But it begins in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any or, uh, affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You know, one of the challenges in our day is that we have discovered that we have differences and we've allowed them to divide us. Aren't you thankful that we're not all exactly the same? How boring that would be. I get frustrated with myself, and I certainly don't want all of you to be just like me. There are differences among us. God has a, kaleid a kaleidoscope of, of, of beauty. We come at it from different perspectives. We come at it from different angles and all. It's his one truth, but he manifests himself through the individuals that he assembles together. And this is what I love about the church. The church is not us about all being exactly alike, not uniformity. But the church is a unity among so much diversity. It doesn't matter what color you are, what your educational background is, what your financial status is. It doesn't matter if you came from Lynchburg originally or you're from all the way across the world. That in Jesus, we can all be unified. And rather than looking for people going, well, why are they like that or why do they do this? Why not just go learn from them and see? It does not mean all people's opinions are equally valid. Let me just clearly state that. In our culture, it's like, well, uh, this is true for me, and that maybe that's true for you, and so we just have different truths. There's only one truth, and truth is uh, in Jesus Christ, and, and God the Father determines truth, but we all have different perspectives of how we understand things, and we're all in a process of growing and learning. If we would learn to be patient with one another and appreciate some of the diversity, perhaps we would all be on the same journey of growth towards Jesus. The church ought to set the example of this. This is one of the problems. We, we divide over... So, politics divides and, 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 and football teams divide and, and, and what you do for a living divides and economic status divides. Everything divides. Only Christ can unify. He brought together Jews and Gentiles. He brought together people from, from, from Africa and, 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 um, and, uh, and Judea. 
as it began to spread, he brought in the Europeans and, and more understood the gospel. And we were part of one family, the family of Christ. The unity of community, understanding that we need one another, would bring much more joy than you would ever understand until you're in it. Have you ever met somebody initially, you go, I don't really like them. They kind of rub me wrong. They're obnoxious, they're, or, or they're too loud, or they, they do weird things. In paper, perhaps you had to work with them, so there was no getting a, a, away from them. But the more time you spent with them, the more you began to understand them, the more you came to a great appreciation of them. And then, if you ever had to depart from them, it was painful. There's a few people in Atlanta that at first, when I first met them, and I'm a pastor, right? I'm not supposed to have bad thoughts, but I thought, I do not want to work with them. They're a little odd, and, I'm not, and they're not like employees or anything, but they're just people like, oh, they're just, I, I, I don't know, I just, they're just weird, you know? And I know you look at me so, well, you're weird, Chris. I know that. I will confess. But there were some people like, if I can not have to work with them, I'll be better off for it. Now, this is evil thought. I'm just confessing before you. But some of those very people became some of my dearest, closest friends. And I learned from it. And I'm still learning that we don't all have to be alike. My wife and I are like night and day when it comes to personalities, makeups, you know, desires. And somehow God put us together to make it work. And every one of my kids is different than the other. We got nine of them. We are just, we are a scientific exploration of, of what... How many personalities? I know you got all these personality exams. I think we created some new ones. I'm not sure. We're all different, but we can be unified in that difference and glorify God in heaven. The third thing I believe will help you with your choice to rejoice is this. Choose your giving while you're living. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, great passage in, in chapter 9 as well about, about giving. I love in, in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 8, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Certainly, I, I would love to explain the entire passage, and perhaps I will. But here you've got some folks who were very poor, struggling with life, and they found their greatest joy when they could give to the contribution of helping those in Jerusalem that were under severe persecution. We don't have anything, but our joy is giving what we do. And they even gave beyond what they could do. Paul says they deep, went all the way back into their pocket, pulled out everything, and even went and found some other things that they could give along because their joy was knowing they were contributing to the needs of the saints in another part of the world that they would never meet, they would never be friends on Facebook, but they knew God was going to use the resource he had given them to bless somebody else. I, I love a phrase I heard years ago. He says... Uh, do your giving while you're living so you'll be knowing where it's going. It's a great phrase. Sometimes we don't know what to... It's like when we die, you'll send flowers. Great. I won't benefit from the flowers you send when I'm dead. So go ahead and send me flowers now so I'll begin to appreciate it. This is the thing. We wait till sometime in the future to do giving when we're robbing ourselves and others of the joy of receiving now. You want to find some joy? Find some places that people need to be blessed. 
Some of us, there are missions efforts, the International Mission Board and Lottie Moon. Some of it's people just down the street. Some of us, you hear a conversation of someone who's struggling, but they certainly didn't want to make that public. But you hear about it, and you go, I wasn't planning on it, but God allowed me to know about it, and my joy would be full if I could give to meet their needs. And you can do that anonymously. It's amazing the joy we get when we choose to do our giving while we're still living and not wait for some future where they might put our name on a building when we die. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, a passage that I have uh, been struck with for many years because I don't fully experience it or understand uh, how they could live this way, but in the, the, you know, the hall of faith, you have a lot of incredible saints of old, and, and the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 34 says of the saints, we don't even know the names of, said, for you had compassion on those in prison, okay, that's, that's understandable, those who are being uh, pulled away and, and thrown into prison because of their faith, you have compassion of those, and it says, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. As a believer, the world will not always affirm you or appreciate you. And this passage says there were people under severe persecution and they have compassion of those who've already been put into prison. But government and other people were, were impressing upon them and not only uh, coming and, and, and knocking on the door, they're busting in and taking and plundering all that they have and it's all going away. And you would think that everything about that would steal your joy. How can they do this? We have rights. Where's God protecting us? But the testimony that this writer says of them is that they had a different perspective and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property because there was a different perspective since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. This world can take everything physical away from you. They can take your life. They can take your property. They can take your family. The one thing that people can never take from you is your relationship with Jesus Christ. There's where joy is. If we would start with the foundation of joy in Christ above all other things, we'd be far more thankful for anything added to that. You brought nothing into the world, you'll take nothing out except who you love and who loves you. Choose your giving while you're living. Here's the last observation of Scripture. Perhaps there's more, but here's, here's another one. You choose your caring by sharing. We're going to be on this planet for so much time. I, I, God doesn't promise us X amount of days. He says, you're like a mist, you're here for a season, and then you're gone. So you care for people when you share with people the most precious gospel that's been presented through the birth, life, death, burial, uh, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you really care for people, you will share with them the gospel. Even Paul was challenged here as he, he was uh, sitting in, in, in jail. He's writing to the Philippians. In verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry and others from goodwill. A little later he says, but, but, but what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ just proclaimed, and that I rejoice. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, Paul said this, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Paul had written the Corinthians a letter, the first Corinthians, you know, the letter of First Corinthians, and he said some pretty scathing things in there. He encouraged them a little along the way, and then he just pointed out all the errors they were having. And he was very direct in his sharing of the gospel, uh, not the gospel, not just for salvation, but for sanctification. And they were just getting hit hard. When he writes the second letter to the Corinthians, he's saying, yes, I shared with you and it brought you to grieve your sin. And it's not that I celebrate your grieving, but I celebrate that in your grief, you repented of your sin and you came back to a right relationship with Jesus. We have to have the boldness and the caring enough to share the truth with people so they can have a right relationship with God. If someone's living in sin apart from Christ, have never been saved, then share with them the loving truth of Jesus, that he died for their sin. I think even as believers, we ought to share with believers who are struggling and going wayward. I love you too much to continue to allow you to go on that path. I want you to know the truth that I'm calling for you, to rescue you back from the, 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 the direction that's going to destroy you. You want to say you care about people? Don't be silent about the truth of Jesus. No greater demonstration of joy, though, in the Scripture than when God saves a soul. You know that God gets pretty excited about things. How many of you love the, the stories of, uh, of, the, of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son, the lost son? I love that section of Scripture. And, and this is what I discovered years ago as I began to look through it. When the, the shepherd uh, was looking for a sheep... When he, when he captured the sheep and brought it home, it says in, in, in Luke chapter 15, rejoice with me. This is the shepherd speaking, rejoice with me. Why? He's rejoicing. He's inviting others. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. When the woman was, was searching throughout her whole house for her lost coin, in verse 9 it says, and when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. When the father was restored with the son who had been wayward, he says in verse, uh, verse 24 of Luke 15, let us eat and celebrate, inviting all to come about, even the older brother. For this, was, uh, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the three, the three individuals. You've got the shepherd, you've got the woman, and you've got the father. And when they see the rescue and the restoration of what was lost, they are the ones celebrating more than everyone else, and then they're inviting others to join them in their celebration. So then when I read back over the passage and I see these words, it, it translated and, and, and interpreted differently for me. In verse 10, it says, Just so. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. For years I had heard about that passage, and perhaps you as well, where people would say, when one sinner gets saved, all the angels in heaven rejoice. That is true, but that's not what that passage is saying. If it's the shepherd and the woman and the father who is most exciting and celebrating and inviting their friends, I see in this passage the truth about God. When the sinner gets saved, there's nobody more excited, no more rejoicing than what the father is doing because he has been able to rescue and restore the lost one. 
And then he invites the angels. Y'all come on here and look. I got a new daughter. I got a new son. They're saved. Come rejoice with me because my joy is overflowing and I want you to be invited into it. Do you see how God gets excited about when you repent of your sins and come to a relationship with him? It's the most, I don't care one lick if an angel celebrates my salvation. Actually, I'm not sure they can celebrate, and let me tell you why. Because angels will never experience the opportunity to be saved. One third of the angels were cast out of, out of heaven, and they have zero opportunity to repent and be restored. It tells us in 1 Peter that, that angels look on with amazement, depending on the translation, they look on and wonder when someone gets saved. They don't understand it because they'll never experience it. It's like reading it in a book, but you never get to do it. You have a greater position than an angel that you in your sin can trust the Christ who was born on Christmas morn, who lived a perfect life in humanity, who took on the penalty of your sin on the cross, died and took it to the grave, but defeated sin and the grave and rose and says, any man, woman, boy, or girl who would trust in my works, not their works, will have salvation for eternity. And when somebody gives their heart and life to Jesus, God celebrates. And then he says, come and be a part of my celebration. They were lost and now they're found. They were separated, now they're restored. That is the gospel, and that is the joy that so many in our world, perhaps even here today, are missing. The joy in the relationship in your presence is fullness of joy, the psalmist says. I want to explain the gospel in a brief way, and then we'll conclude our, our service with a couple of songs. Somebody developed this acrostic, and I think it's helpful. Gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. G, God created us to be with him. O, our sins separated us from God. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. L, life with Jesus starts now and will last forever. Do you have joy this Christmas season? Are you lacking the joy that only Jesus can bring? But let's make sure that we're not missing the privilege of having the joy of Christ in our lives.